Please be seated. I'll invite our children uh, to be dismissed to Children's Church with our volunteers in the back. And for those of you that are remaining, I'll invite you to turn with me to Proverbs at chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 11. Not sure what to encourage you to expect this morning. From one perspective, I've spent 13 weeks working on this sermon. From the other, I haven't done this in three months, so my timing is all off. I might preach for four hours, who knows? I'd have a tendency to try to tell you everything I learned on sabbatical all at once. But our hope and confidence, even as we just sung, is not in me, but in our God who is good and who teaches us from his word. And so we will look to him to do just that this morning. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. This is God's word. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we need you to give us your truth. We need you to speak. And so I pray you would take my feeble words and use them to your good purpose, that your word, not mine, might go forth and not return void. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we live in a chaotic world, do we not? Even when there are good and wonderful things, when, when peace and prosperity uh, seem to reign, it, it seems as if it doesn't take much, just a moment for all that to get turned on its head and for chaos and confusion to reign. We just look out at the world. How was it two weeks ago where the citizens of Afghanistan seemed to enjoy some measure of peace and prosperity and now in a matter of days they're enduring a travesty and a tragedy. There are fires sweeping through the West, devastating the lives of those who once lived in great prosperity. You consider all that Haiti has endured, tragedy, disaster upon disaster upon disaster. We live in a world that is infected with chaos. It took just a little virus to bring all the gears of prosperity to a halt. But it's not just out there. It's not just in the news reports. It's not just on CNN. That chaos infects every level of our lives. Even when you zero in to to our individual lives, when you take a look at our own hearts and souls, that chaos has infected us there too 
takes one diagnosis, one, to bring your life to a screeching halt. It takes one discouraging report, even in the midst of a joyous time, at the birth of a child, at a celebration of promotion, one bad word sucks all the joy away. And the constant stress and anxiety that we endure in our culture and in our lives is a testament, is a, is a witness to the fact that we live always waiting for the other shoe to drop because you just don't have any real control over this world. It is chaotic and confusing. How are we supposed to navigate it? We try. Because we don't like the chaos. I don't like it, that's for sure. But as you read through the book of Proverbs, what you find is that God confronts our, the ways that we tend to try and navigate this chaotic world, and God exposes them for the futility that they are. You see that in these verses. Sometimes when, when we... It, find ourselves oppressed by that chaos and confusion and disaster, we, we just try to run from it. We withdraw. We pull back in whatever way we know how. You see that a little bit here in verse 9. Whoever is slack in his work. And this is not just about laziness, though Proverbs has a lot to say about that. He becomes a brother to him who destroys This isn't just about laziness. This is about destructive inaction. We were made in God's image to have dominion over this earth, to cultivate in the wild and unkept places for good and for the glory of God. And when we withdraw, when we harden ourselves, when we retreat from those places instead of leaning into the hard things to bring about good, we become a brother to him who destroys. When we moved into our house, we found that there was a natural area on the side of our house, bordering our house and our neighbors, except I discovered very quickly it wasn't a natural area, it was a wild area. And there, it takes a lot of work to keep a natural area, natural. But when you just let it grow up wild, it's crazy. You see this in more sinister ways. Certainly, Scripture calls us to flee a great many things. There are things we should run from, but not from the the calling to do good, even if it's hard. And you hear these stories of families that have that deep, dark secret. Maybe it's your family. And rather than getting people in a room together with someone knowledgeable enough to help them navigate it, rather than pressing in to those hard places where hurt has been manifest, where wounds have been given and inflicted, rather than do the work of cultivating something redemptive and beautiful and good, we shush it and we hush it and we sweep it under the rug. 
thinking that if we just stick our head in the sand, it will all go away. But how long does it take for that secret to fester? And for the relationships you thought you could save to become destitute and destroyed because you never cultivated good. You withdrew from the chaos and became a brother to him who destroys. Some of you, though, take a different strategy. You, you look at the chaos of this world and you look at all the things that surround you and you take up the things of this world to try to rein in the chaos and, and carve out for yourself a safe place there. You see this in verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And keep in mind, this, this proverb isn't just about wealth, although there are many proverbs that have a great many things to say about it. This is about faulty security. A man who thinks in his imagination that his wealth will be a wall against any enemy, against any harm. And it's true. Money can get you out of a whole lot of problems but not all of them. I mean, even the Beatles know this, right? You can't buy me love. But here we are in the wealthiest nation in the world with all the freedoms and all the resources that anyone could want. In fact, many people in the world wanted to be here just to enjoy those things. And we are plagued with epidemics of loneliness, of depression, of opioid abuse and addiction. Things that are destroying and tearing down lives and families and maybe even society. And all the money and resources we've thrown at it hasn't done any good. Sometimes we trust in unreliable things. So what are we to do? How do we navigate a chaotic world wisely? What's the path that will take us through to a safe place? God tells us in verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And we're just going to take a close look at this verse this morning to see what wisdom and what grace the Lord has for us today. So how is it that the name of the Lord is so central to navigating this chaotic world effectively? This is one of the few places in the book of Proverbs where the name of the Lord is called out intentionally and directly. Yahweh, the covenant name of God. In fact, anytime you see in your English translations of the Hebrew scriptures uh, the word Lord or God in all capital letters, it's not Lord or God. It's Yahweh, our way of representing this Hebrew word that we don't entirely know how to spell or 
pronounce. It's under that name that God has made himself known. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, even as we read earlier in the service. Our problem is, all too often, rather than availing ourselves of what that means, instead we withdraw from the name of the Lord altogether and avoid crying out to him in our need. Maybe you are too ashamed of the things that you have done that have brought upon your own head the suffering you endure. Maybe you're angry that God has not met your expectations for how he ought to act in your life. Either way, you've pulled back and withdrawn. And in so doing, you have isolated and alienated yourself from the God who made you. From the God who would say again and again, I would be your God. And you could be my people. Others of you take up the name of the Lord, but you do so in an utterly worldly way, like the sorcerers of old who thought that if you knew someone's true name, you could control them and get them to do what you want. We seek to manipulate God, and we cry out to him, and we use his name and pray in just the right way, or, and we have just the right doctrine, and we say just the right things, and we do just the right good deeds, and, and we try to feel just the right things so that God will look upon us and be impressed and pleased and give us the things that we want. And he becomes to us nothing more than a vendor. But to know the name of the Lord, to know the covenant name of God, isn't to know a fact or a piece of knowledge. It is to know the Lord himself. It was under that name that after the world was plunged into sin because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, after the world was thrown into chaos upon Cain's murder of his own brother, after his line became more and more oppressive and more and more evil, it was at that time when the world was thrown into confusion and chaos and despair and wickedness and sin that we read in the scriptures that at that time men and women began to call on the name of the Lord. It was under that name that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and said, I will make you a blessing to all the nations. It was under that name that God delivered his people out from under slavery in Egypt and invited them into the freedom of life before him as his people. It's under that name that God's people have found time and time and time again that when they call out to him, when they cry out to him, when they cling to him, he is to them strong tower. Towers don't mean much to us today. They are the kit we buy at Lowe's to put up in the backyard so the kids and grandkids have a place to get out of the house and make a mess somewhere safer. 
But there was a time when marauders and armies ravaged the earth, when a tower, well-stocked and well-fortified, was your joy and delight. Like Isengard. When it all came down to it, even with an army of magic trees at their behest, they still couldn't get Saruman out of the tower till someone else acted. I won't spoil the story. But a tower protects us, protects us from enemies, protects us from danger. Why then would we run from the Lord if he is to his people a strong tower? And yet that's exactly all too often what we do. We withdraw from him. We pull back from him. We see the enemies on the horizon and we run and we hide. We hide in a ditch or up in a tree somewhere and we we withdraw. Why? Maybe we look at the the suffering we've endured. Maybe we look at the, the chaos on the horizon that's coming and we think that that is somehow proof that God has abandoned us to those things. Forgetting that the Lord of glory himself has borne our burdens, has suffered in our likeness. And when we withdraw and hide from him, it might give us some peace and some security for a time. It may feel like the largest waves of trouble have passed over us and we are unscathed, but the longer we stay there, the more we become trapped and hardened alone. Alone with our wounds. Alone with our bitterness. Alone with our anger. Alone with our shame. Alone with our suffering. Others of you, avoid dealing with the Lord as a strong tower by trying to build a tower yourself. And so you take hold of all the worldly things around you and you think and you you imagine that you can build a high wall that can hold back anything. And so you seek money or you seek knowledge, or you seek pleasure to numb yourself to the pain, or you throw yourself into the work that you do, all hoping that somehow if you just do this thing enough, or you just have enough of that, or you just think this way, that whatever's coming for you won't really hurt you. It won't really leave you scarred. what we end up doing is building a whole bunch of walls out of sand around our sandcastle. And when the chaos of this world comes and the wave of it crashes upon you again and again and again, it doesn't take much for all of that to be washed away. But what Scripture tells us again and again and again is this. 
the only place where you can find a true, lasting, eternal security, safety, peace, and joy is in the Lord. He is a strong tower. And no matter what this world may throw at you, you can find refuge in him. How's all that work? Like, is there like a six-step process to getting into the tower? Is there a special knock? How do we find our way there? The righteous man knows the way. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. The righteous man, he knows the way. He knows how to get into the tower. Of course, if you're anything like me, you don't feel anything like the righteous man. Instead, you feel like this world is like some crazy birthday party where they've made you do the little spinny thing on the bat and then said, go, find safety. And you're surrounded by barbed wire and landmines everywhere. This is not a birthday party I want to go to. But we read here that the righteous man knows the way. Why do we struggle to know how to find the way to the Lord, our strong tower? Some of you, you just have no urgency about it at all. You are content to be wherever you are and let the Lord be wherever he is and you figure someday it will all work itself out and so you just exist As the fear builds up, as the hurt builds up, as the guilt builds up, it just builds up and it hasn't worked in you any sort of urgency to find your way to him. You go through the motions. You go to the church service. You read the news. You do a devotion every once in a while. But there's no sense of desperation that if I don't find my way to where the Lord is, I will be undone. But notice the righteous man, he runs. The first sight of trouble. He's not standing around wondering, well, what is that? Let me, let me stick around a little bit longer to see what it is. He runs to the Lord with urgency. Others of you think that in order to get into the tower, somehow you have to to sort out a few things on your own. Like, you can't just come to the Lord with all the chaos of your own heart. (laughs) Like, he he might throw you out, maybe. And so you found yourself on this endless treadmill trying to get to a place where you feel worthy enough to get into the tower checking things off so that you can be counted as the righteous man. But notice that the righteous man doesn't do anything with his righteousness. He's not righteous because he has earned his way into the tower. He is righteous because he is one who has read the scriptures and knows the righteous live by faith. And he believes that the Lord is mighty to save. And not only is he desperate for that salvation, but he knows where to find it. 
It's not in his works. It's in the Lord of glory alone. And so he runs. How do we do that? How do we get past all the spiritual talk and actually day to day do that? The Proverbs have a lot to say to that, but I think the most important thing is laid out for us right here. The righteous man has already shown us the way. The Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into our chaotic world and brought order. He healed disease. He gave the dumb speech. He gave the deaf hearing. He gave the blind sight. He raised the dead. He, he looked at the demons that would afflict people and he told them to go away. He exerted all authority and all power in this world and brought it into conformity to his perfect will and he did it without ever sinning, without ever stumbling in pure holiness and righteousness. But more than that, he bore in himself all of our unrighteousness, all of our shame, all of our wickedness, all of our works that have brought more chaos and injustice and wrong into this world than any sort of good. He took all of that on himself and bore it in himself, dying the death we deserved as he hung on the cross and was raised to newness of life that he might pour out new life on us and clear the way so that there is no secret knock, there is no hidden way, there is no special checklist of things you have to do to find the Lord and enter into that strong tower. There's nothing left. He has cleared the way. There is nothing left but to believe it's done. It is finished. If we cry out and call upon the name of the Lord in Christ, he will hear and he will answer and he will keep us safe. What is that safety like? I think all too often we have the wrong idea of what true safety really is. We think safety is the absence of chaos. Safety is the, 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 the opposite of turmoil. And, and we forget that when the Lord created the heavens and the earth, there was a, a time when it was formless and void and he spoke light and there was light and he spoke order and good into that wild place and then he set us as his image bearers in the garden and said, now go cultivate the whole world. Wherever there is turmoil, go cultivate order. Wherever there is injustice, go and be a, a source of righteousness. Wherever there is chaos, go be a witness to the peace that is the peace of God. Safety is not plucking us out of all the hardship of this life. 
In fact, the word here for safety really is, is, is fortified. It's lifted up. There is a sense in which if we buy into the Apollyanna view of what the Christian life is, we will always and ever be withdrawing from the very places God would send us into. It's not that the enemies are wiped away. It's that they are restrained. Satan may rage, but his doom is sure. And we can stand safe in Christ. Stand firm then in God and Satan will flee from you. He's the one doing the withdrawing and the running. But there's also a sense in which the safety is not momentary. We get, we get focused on this particular hardship, this difficulty with my children, this problem with my parents, this, this turmoil with my spouse, and we think if, if this thing was, was done, then finally I would be safe and at peace. And we get this very focused momentary idea of what safety is, but the word here is, is just transcends all of that. There is an eternal, transcendent quality to the safety that cannot exist forever in this realm. Which is why we read that the Lord Jesus is coming back and he will set all things right. And there is coming a day when he will wipe away every tear, where every sorrow will be taken away, where death will be no more. That renewing work, that redeeming work, he begins in us now, in this world as it is. There's a way you could say it this way. When you are lifted up above the affliction, not in a proud way, a safe way, when you are able to, to react, not out of anger or malice or pain or bitterness, but bearing the fruit of the Spirit, even in a dark and, and confusing place. When you are able to be salt and light, you'll know what it means to be safe in the Lord because you are at rest with who you are in Him. Safety in the Lord is rest in the Lord because you believe he is mighty to save. What do you need rest from? Is there shame that bears heavy on you? I don't know. I've been gone for three months. There are three months of stories that you have that I have not yet heard. I don't know what they are. But I know who I am and I know how easy it is for shame to become a heavy, heavy burden. Have your plans just been turned upside down and you just don't even know what to do anymore? where to go? Have you found yourself serving idols, serving self, serving a whole bunch of things and you look up and you wonder, where is God? But you haven't yet learned to find rest in Him. 
need rest from. If Proverbs 18.10 would tell us anything, it would tell us this. The Lord knows the chaos you live in. He's walked in this world. He knows. And he who spoke light into darkness, he who spoke peace to the wind and the waves, he who disarmed every power and nailed it to the cross, he who is returning to set all things right, he is inviting you in this proverb to call upon him, to cry out, call on his name and find your rest in him. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask you would give us eyes to see all of the ways that we have avoided actually dealing with you. The ways that we have withdrawn from you and your calling to us. The ways that we have clung to idols and worldly things instead of to you. I pray you would show us these things not to shame us, but to convict us. Lord, wake us up and give us eyes to see where Jesus leads us, that we might run to you, our strong tower, and be safe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.